It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. My guest today is CEO Bob Baird. Bob joined AT Cross as CEO in 2015 and prior to that had a number of leadership positions with companies such as Dorel Sports, Samsonite, Philips Electronics, and in various consumer products companies in positions of increasing responsibility, including General Motors, Scott Paper, Bristol Myers, and Procter & Gamble. Bob holds an MBA from the Kellogg School at Northwestern University and a BA from Economics from St. Lawrence University. Bob Baird, welcome into the corner office. Great to be here, Brent. Thank you. <laughs> Wonderful to have you here. We always like to kind of start about the early years, and maybe you can just tell us a little bit about where you grew up and what was your family life like? Yeah, uh, thank you. So uh, probably a classic American family to a degree with, with, with a couple wrinkles. Uh, my father came from Canada uh, on a scholarship and track to Michigan State University. Ah, right. And, uh, yeah, that's where he met my mother. Uh, and at the time, I think they could afford a cup of coffee for a nickel. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so they fell in love, you know, humble beginnings. Uh, and then he joined, um, you know, I guess the big eight accounting in those days, I think we're down to the big three or four. Uh, but, but in that role, you know, classic American family, um, you know, started with the Midwest. Humble, yeah. Humble beginnings, Midwest. But the interesting thing, at least in, in my early development, uh, was my father did transfer every couple of years, two to three years. Uh, so I was always the guy uh, being brought into the, the schoolroom. Uh, <laughs> hey, class, today, you know, we got Robert Baird, new student. You know, Robert, tell us about uh, yourself. So, you know, the early days, it felt like I was getting Toastmasters uh, lessons. Uh, <laughs> well, it was probably a lot of good early presentation training, Exactly. Right, so explaining who I was. So, I, you know, I think I've moved 17 times in my life. Oh, my goodness. Uh, but, but, which is quite quite a few. But but I finally, you know, settled down in Connecticut, went to high school, Wilton, Wilton High School, Wilton, Connecticut. Uh, and I love sports. So, you know, hockey player, did all the usual things. And, um, yeah, good. Brothers, brothers and family. sisters, Bob? Yeah, so I've got one, one sister who works in hospital administration. Uh, she's doing great. And uh, my father decided to go to heaven, heaven, heaven a little early. Didn't, didn't, didn't like that. Uh, you know, so and was 51. mom stay at home? Did she have a degree? Yeah, mom, or, or, mom stayed at home. So uh, everything from tuna casserole 
which wasn't my favorite, to uh, <laughs> you know, the, the occasional uh, steak on the grill, which I greatly appreciated at the time. Lovely, lovely. Great. So sports in high school, what type of sports you said uh, you played? Yeah, so I, li- I liked everything. I still, to this day, remain quite competitive, but hockey is probably the thing I, I did hockey. the most. Uh, you know, I went on to play, play a little bit of college hockey, but, you know, soccer, uh, hockey, lacrosse, tennis, golf, running, cycling, uh, and the newest passion is yoga, uh, and call it kind of Eastern uh, things like meditation and yoga. Who are some of the early influences in your life? You know, any coaches, teachers that made a difference for you? Yeah, so absolutely. So parents, number one, right? They, they you know, hard work um, will get you ahead. If you dream it, you can do it. Uh, so there's a lot of great influence from my parents. Uh, and I saw... Did dad stay in the accounting field for most of his career? Uh, he did, and he ascended to a CFO in a corporation. So, you know, when you, when you see a role model, you know, hard work, setting goals, uh, and moving your, yourself ahead. And the houses went from, you know, kind of the apartment to this really small house to a little bit better house to a, to a pretty decent decent sized house. So that, that so really... So a typical mid, middle yeah, uh, income story, right? Sort of showed that. Did dad go to work for a middle market company? Was he working for a larger firm? What was it? Where did he Yeah, larger CFO? firm. So Xerox, he was a controller of Xerox, and then he moved on to be the uh, chief financial officer for Avis Rental Cars. Okay. So big, big company experience. Yeah. And uh, anything else outside of sports? Any music, theater, you know, politics? Did you get involved in any of those types of things during your middle school or high school years? I uh, did a little bit of all of it, you know, uh, uh, you know, bass, guitar, uh, piano for a long time. Uh, and oh, actually, really? I, I've dropped that, but you know, I got to bring yeah. it back because because I really admire people who've kept with their with their musical prowess out there, and uh, you know, that's something. But generally, yeah, it was hard work, sports, uh, and of course, in those days, having a little bit of fun too. They say that piano sometimes goes hand in hand with mathematics skills and you know, kind of engineering types of thinking. Did you find that as well? Was that something that came easy for you in school? Yeah, I'd say I excelled at math. That was always a, st- a strong subject, uh, but I decided I wasn't going to get my PhD in mathematics, uh, and then I, you know, transitioned, <laughs> I transitioned to economics. Decision. It seemed uh, more more relevant for what I was chasing. Were you were you a good student through middle school and high school? Um, I've always said I'm I'm, I'm a slow riser, uh, but I seem to pull it in on the end. I think uh, first year, freshman year in high school, let's just say the grades weren't weren't that great, but by the end, um, you know, I'd set goals and I was hitting re- really good grades. What about entrepreneurial things? Anything when you were younger, you know, paper route in the single digits or, you know, selling Christmas card at uh, Christmas time, anything uh, that you did to earn that extra spending money? Yeah, a little bit. I'll say small stuff again. uh, My parents were, hey, you know, we're going to provide, you know, food on the table, uh, shelter over you. Uh, But again, you've got to get out there and get a job. So at age 13, I went to work on a golf course. Uh, and here I am weighing, I don't know, 75 pounds, trying to carry two golf bags that weigh more than me. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, so I did that for years. Golf game still isn't where I'd like to be because I work, I work too hard and play eight rounds a year. Uh, but, you know, I, I did a little bit of everything when I was younger in terms of work. So the caddying, uh, I then worked a retail job, uh, which was good to be in front of customer service, you know, orientation. Uh, one summer, Pepperidge Farms, you know, had some great jobs in their bread factory. Oh. Uh, so I think sprouted wheat bread was one of my uh, perfect ones. And, did you uh, do delivery for them or did you actually work inside I was actually the in the factory. No kidding. And, uh, wow. Yeah, sit, sitting by the bread ovens. And it, it's kind of a funny, <laughs> funny job because I'll never forget the one day I'm, I'm trying to do my job perfectly and you've got to weigh your little balls of dough that are coming out. And, uh, you know, like the whole wheat bread had to be at 1178 grams. Uh, or 1128, and somehow I'd put in the measurement at 1182. 
Oh my gosh. So the supervisor came over, he starts weighing balls furiously. I've clearly made a problem. <laughs> so there were there were probably about two thousand loaves of bread didn't that didn't meet quality Ooh. standards and uh, you know, good, good lesson in uh, uh, manufacturing and quality control at an early age. What are some of the other lessons from some of those entrepreneurial things? Uh, you know, retail, perhaps some customer service things that you picked up, but uh, tell us a little bit about some of those things. Yeah. So, so many of the classic ones uh, that I carry forward to today, consumers are your lifeblood in business. Uh, you know, are they always right? We say yes. Uh, of course they aren't. Uh, but you do need to make uh, your consumers happy, uh, particularly in this day and age with digital social um, uh, vehicles out there. So, you know, to this day, I'll, I'll jump ahead, you know, 30 years. Uh, but AT Cross, we have lifetime warrantied products. Uh, I get customer letters and I respond to every one of them because they're influencers. Uh, but back in those days, I mean, you, you saw everything. I worked at the Village Pharmacy in Wilton, Connecticut. Uh, and you would get the characters coming in. So early on, you're trying to, you know, win people over and influence them and calm them down uh, and make sure they leave a satisfied, you know, customer. And some people at that 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 age did not. Yeah, yeah. Scott Cook, who's a fellow P and G alum, as you and I are, uh, at Intuit, founded Intuit. I think at one time said, I may be paraphrasing, um, if you don't, you know, keep your good customers or keep customers happy, you don't deserve any new ones. Right. And uh, that's that's something that sounds like you've taken to heart. Um, was it kind of a for foregone conclusion, Bob, that you'd go to college? Um, it was. I've been a goal setter from early on, be it everything was I was a hockey goalie. You know, so post every hockey game, I would analyze, you know, how I could have stopped that shot. And you know, I've always been a bit reflective and then goal oriented of, of what I want to achieve in life. Were you recruited as a hockey player? Um, I ended up walking on to a Division One school. Uh, I'd been recruited Division II, et cetera, but I decided I wanted to go to St. Lawrence University. They were D1. Uh, and I got to tell you, one of the best days of my life was uh, the day I made that team. Uh, all my fraternity brothers followed me to the rink. They were behind the net watching me, 20 of them, saying I'm going to get killed because you know these are all future NHLers. Uh, and I, you know, I, I made the team. Uh, Good for so you. I pl played a few years there, and it was really, really an exciting time. My daughter's a freshman at Dartmouth, and she walked on the crew team this year, and, and oh she's God. medaled twice this year. The, the Ivy League championships were actually this last weekend. But, uh, you know, it's, a, it's quite an accomplishment to be able to go to a D1 school, keep your grades up, which I'm Congrats. sure you had to as well, and also play sports. Did you, did you play both freshman and, and sophomore year all the way through? Or I didn't play all the way through. I, I decided that I wasn't going to make the pros, so then I said I better put my head down, focus on studies, and... Uh, uh, get a job and start the career. So I, I played two two of the four years. What did you study in college, and how did you come to that decision? Yeah, so um, uh, I was, uh, you know, my father's a businessman. That seemed like a lot of fun at the time. It looked very kind of sexy and glamorous, you know, taking the Concord over to London for the day, th things like that. So, um, you know, I decided early on uh, that I was going to focus that way, either mathematics or economics. I uh, decided on economics because somehow it just. It, it synced with me. I found a passion there, uh, and I was just getting 4.0s easily uh, in, in that line of uh, study. So I really enjoyed it. Any summer internships of uh, interest during your undergraduate years, or did you just kind of do things that were more, uh, you know, keeping the money coming in to, you know, fund the extracurricular, so to speak? Uh, more of the latter, which is so interesting because nowadays it seems like I have three three children. They're so structured. I've got to get the yeah. job at Bloomberg oh, this summer. But in my day... Uh, I did a diversity of things, you know, retail, 
uh, the bread factory that I mentioned to you, things like that, which I actually enjoyed because I think one of the things of, of a leader is you've got to understand people of all walks of life, you know, what drives them. Uh, and I'm a huge believer in the American dream, you know, a, a good day's work. You know, people should come home and feel good about a good day's work. And uh, they're great people working in all facets, you know, all professions out there, be it a landscaper or a CEO. You went on to Kellogg, one of the leading uh, business schools in the country at Northwestern. Uh, did you uh, have a first job out of college, undergrad, Bob, before you decided to go on to MBA, or did you go straight on? Yes, yeah, so I went to uh, GE right out of undergrad. Uh, and again, happened what, what chance. What kind of job was that? What, what, what division did you go in and what did you do there? So the, um, the thing I liked about GE Academy Company, great name, uh, and they had a series of training programs. So uh, I was lucky enough at the time, you know, got through the interview process, went into the financial management program, which is basically this two-year uh, rotational assignment program where you're going through all aspects of finance, financial planning analysis, accounts receivable, or maybe you're calling up the distributor in Dubai you know, to collect money, things like that. So it's really, really a fabulous um, experience. The line of business I went into was the construction equipment business. Very different, everything from circuit breakers to busway to electrical uh, appliance and gear. Any leadership responsibilities early on? In other words, uh, did you have some pretty significant projects or maybe manage people during your time at GE? Yeah, I'm primarily an ind individual contributor during that time. So I'm going to say no. Um, but one of the one of the things I probably want to touch on later is even though you're an in, individual contributor, you know, leadership I think starts young and immediately, and you don't even necessarily have to have uh, direct reports to influence and drive change. How so, Bob? Tell us a little bit about that. You know, maybe I'll back up a little bit. I'm a voracious reader. Uh, you know, early on in my life, even at GE, I'm like, I'm going to be a president. I'm going to be a president. So you always had it in your there? sights, did you? Yeah. yeah. So how do you get there? Okay, I'm reading Warren Bennis and Peter Drucker and all these great leaders, uh, leadership uh, authors, um, and I'm kind of formulating like how do these people get there? You know, much like your podcast. <laughs> you know, that wasn't there in my day. Yeah, that's right. right. That would have been good. Uh, but it's <laughs> like you know, how, how do I pull you know the best of the best thinkers together and start shaping who I am? And, um, you know, then getting on that journey to, okay, I did this right this time. I could have done that better. You know, next time I'm going to do this better. So, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we've all read that, you know, half job satisfaction is your boss, right? So any role I got, I was a bit, okay, I'm on this track. I've got to get points on the board uh, and I've got to start influencing people to get points on the board. And once I'm lucky enough to get into a leadership role, Let's make sure that I you know, do the absolute best job I can do. Even though you were an individual contributor, you obviously had bosses and mentors. W what kind of lessons uh, early on did you learn from them? Good or bad? And you know, we've had both shared uh, in this podcast series. Sometimes it's that bad example that you learn from. But tell us about some, maybe some of those early uh, uh, mentoring or boss lessons that you picked up. Um, so I've seen everything. Or, or it feels like I have uh, in, in leadership. And, uh, you know, I've always said, again, take the good, learn from the good, but you can also learn a lot from the bad uh, and what not to emulate. So I'd probably first like to thank, you know, all my mentors in life. You know, without them, you know, I would not have ascended. But I have just met some of the greatest managers in my life. I've been lucky enough. Maybe I've worked for 50 people through my career. But, you know, everyone from a guy named David Bierman at GE, uh, here's a guy who's self-made, 
from Britain, no college, and he worked his way up to very senior levels at GE through inspirational leadership, lifelong learning, captivating hearts and minds, you know, to do great things. Uh, I can go to the other extreme. Uh, you know, not, <laughs> Don't now, have to name now names on myself, that one. <laughs> no names on this one. But, uh, you know, another leader who um, uh, would rant, uh, would throw things, um, would never listen. Uh, if you disagreed with him in a public forum, you weren't in the next meeting or in the company uh, and things like that. So um, on the extremes, you know, I always kept this list on paper and then on my laptop, like, here's the great things I've liked from this person in this leadership style. And then here's the things, you know, that, <laughs> that I want to leave behind. <laughs> and then how do good. I want to keep on shaping my style? And, uh, you know, the goods, which again, whatever, level five leadership from Jim Collins, good, great. But, you know, you got to have a vision. You got to inspire people. You want to make them feel important. Um, I always said something that I use CCAA, communication, collaboration, accountability, and action. You know, people want to feel that they're part of it. They're collaborating with you. You're taking their ideas and you're, and you're running. Do you remember the first time you started managing people, Bob? Um, I do. Procter & Gamble. Okay. Uh, I had some very now exciting days. Post-business post school? Yeah, post-business school. So, uh, and my first... Maybe we'll just back up a little bit then. So motivations to go to business school. Did you feel you needed a pivot? Did you feel that you just needed the additional management expertise as you, you know, kept your eyes on that corner office? Tell us a little bit about your decision-making for uh, MBA school. So again, early on, uh, I'm like, I want to be a president. So, you know, I had my four years at General Electric Academy Company, uh, and it felt like at the time, uh, everybody's coaching me to get my MBA. Mentors and bosses. Mentors, yeah. bosses, uh, you know, that's kind of a nice stamp as you progress. Again, as an executive recruiter, uh, you know, often that might be in a spec for a role, you know, MBA preferred, et cetera. So sure. I, I knew early on, and then I decided to do something a little different. Uh, Kellogg, Midwest, uh, marketing-oriented school. Uh, I've got my finance checklist done. Now I got to go broaden my general management skill set. Uh, so that's why I decided on Kellogg, because they were known for... for um, uh, marketing. Now, you know, yeah, a little, cool. you didn't ask this, but I'm going to say it. And I think one of the things that people need to do is be lifelong learners and they need to stretch themselves. So when I went to Kellogg, it was out of my own pocket. And I'm like, forget the intro courses. This is very expensive. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, put me in turbo finance, put me in advanced strategy. And, and, you know, I took some pretty tough courses and I just love learning. So I was trying to fill out that general management skill set with strategy training, um, you know, all the best marketing courses I could take at Kellogg, uh, reaffirming finance uh, versus just kind of the accounting skill set that I've gotten at GE. And Proctor, of course, recruits at Kellogg, so that probably wasn't uh, uh, too much of a no-brainer. You probably had lots of different opportunities. What made you decide that, that P&G was the best place for you to start your career, or po post-MBA anyway? So back to the vision, okay, now it's time to learn marketing. Um, you know, and who's the best, who are the who's best the companies best to do that? Pepsi, yeah. you know, P&G, Unilever, et cetera. And I just headed off with P&G. And one of the things, this was interesting, one of the things I decided at business school, which is really, I'm going to say an inflection point, everybody's going into finance, everybody's going to consulting, you know, that paid, you know, 50% more than anything in brand management. Uh, and this is what I preach to my kids. You got to find a passion 
in life. Don't worry about money. Chase a passion that looks fun. And then your job becomes not a job. Never work a day in your life, right? Exactly. Yeah. So I really, it's, Bob, it's really so interesting you mentioned. Yeah, so interesting you mentioned passion. I would say that ninety percent of our CEOs say the same thing. You know, it, it always comes up that uh, being passionate about what you do is just such a key thing early on in your career. So, it, was it brand management then? Did you go in as, in the brand management program? Classic Great. brand so, management and health and beauty aids. Right, right. So your first job was managing people as a brand manager, which is what, two, three years, I guess, down the road, correct? Yes, yeah. So the first one, uh, yeah, I came in typical brand assistant on Clearasol. I, I then moved into Oil Valet, and that was my first direct report one. <laughs> so you got to inspire one person. Absolutely. How to get them to get fired up to come in every day and do great work. And together, we're going to change the world. And you were at Procter for six years? How long were you? Uh, a little over four. Over four years. And, and any early management experience lessons or management lessons from those times uh, working you know, at P&G? Yeah. So again, a, a great leader, I'll mention him by name, Russ Roggy. You know, how do you ca- capture hearts and minds? You know, get mm. people to you know, think out of the box and, and, and do things differently and paradigm shift and you know, uh, do more than you can, which is you know, one of my lessons from him was hire people better than you are. You know, always find that. He, he always said that to me, but I wasn't hiring a lot of people at the time, but that, that resonated with me <laughs> the message later in stuck, life. Right. And back to the bad things I've seen in life, I have seen managers of businesses hire people who aren't very good, so they look good. So you got to have courage to hire better than you. Absolutely. You don't need to be the smartest person in the room. So um, fast forward, you've worked obviously for a number of companies and some great ones in terms of your career, spent a little time in executive recruiting with one of the top five firms as well. How would you say your leadership styles evolved over time, Bob? Yeah, um, pretty dramatically. I'm in my my 50s now. Uh, I'm going to say I went from a super hard driving, deliver the goals with fun and inspiration around it to calmer, uh, more coaching versus directing. I, I would say that. Um, I mean, I had one, one uh, in my senior roles at Phillips, I had somebody say, Bob, you're like an Oreo cookie. Um, <laughs> you know, I like that you're, you, you set hard objectives for us, but then the center, that you're soft on how it gets done, like the middle <laughs> of an Oreo, uh, but then you do hold us accountable. Um, so, th- so that's one thing that's said. And then as I've continued you know, the best inside, you know, watching mentors and others and the best reading, you know, I've really adopted this Lencioni, Patrick Lencioni mm, model, of, yes, you know, the right. pyramid. And again, I'll kid, you write a pyramid, you, you draw a pyramid, you can write a book. Um, but you've got to engender trust uh, with your teams because without trust, you know, really nothing can, can be overly productive, healthy conflict. I love debate. So uh, we've all been in teams where people just listen and they're yes people and, I, I kid my team that the only way you're going to get fired from me is if you become a yes person and you don't speak your mind, uh, but then commitment, accountability, and, and fierce attention to the results you're chasing. So uh, I'm still in that genre, but I'm much more calm. And, and I, you know, I'd say this at the senior levels, I've now been in business situations where there's tremendous adversity. You know, I'm now in mid cap, like you mentioned. You know, I had never till this role experienced, you know, cash. I've had treasury departments at Phillips and, you know, turnarounds, uh, cash calls, inspiring people in really difficult uh, professional situations. 
And I think that's where leadership really comes through because stress behavior, you know, we can all do it. We don't act the way we want. And, I, and in fact, in my life, I have acted ways that I haven't wanted to. Uh, and you learn from that and being apologetic, you know, when you act out, hey, sorry, I overreacted, you know, but I've really calmed, centered and matured around that um, versus my just hard driving deliverer else. I might say that was probably a proctor trait, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you and I were both there about the same time. So and every yeah. day we're learning, you know, yeah, all of us always. And uh, I, I love uh, I love reading Statesman, you know, Emerson or Churchill or you know uh, MacArthur. You know, I'm always you know what do other great leaders do, and uh, you know try to learn from them. I try to inspire my team with quotes. Every every team meeting we have once a week, I throw some quotes at them of, of you know Ralph Waldo Emerson. You know, don't go where the path may lead; go instead where there is no path and leave a trail. Like, let's do bold things. Bob, how do you decide if it's time to micromanage or when to stay out of the sandbox of your key executives? Uh, funny, back to one of my mentors, I always chuckle. Um, gentleman from Phillips, Odd Vainhoff. Uh, Odd would always say, "Well, you know, Bob might need some of my help." <laughs> which was his uh, euphemism for business isn't going well, there's an issue, you know, <laughs> yeah, let me come help in. you. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm a bit that way. Like, you know, from P&G, we had one-page strategies or Phillips, you know, similar things. So my team gets the objectives. You know, when things are off track, you know, that, that's when I'll lean in and, and help. Uh, and, you know, you kind of dial it up. You know, if it's not getting done, you got to lean in, lean in and help. So, um, yeah. Micromanagement or coaching. Style is to, yeah. Micromanagement or coaching. I hope it's coaching, your more dominant style is stay out of the Stay out of the lanes or stay out of the sandbox if you can. That's what you brought the people in for. Would that be your dominant style, would you say? Yes. Let's talk a little bit about company culture. Um, you know, you're working for a mid-market company now. Obviously, CEO of that operation has been around for, gosh, 1846. So what I know, are we talking 170 about? years. Uh, We're excited. Yeah, Gifted for generations. Amazing. Guaranteed for life. Stand by it. What are your thoughts about building a company culture, Bob? What does that look like for you, particularly for a sort of long-standing, well-established company? Critical to do. Harvard Business Review had some articles on culture, I think, two issues ago. Um, I like um, getting an organization excited about transformation, BHAGs, doing you know incredible, incredible things. Um, I do believe that you know culture. Um, is key, and I've always, in my roles, you know, worked with the leadership team to collaborate and decide what, who are we, who are our roots. A little bit of like the Proctor thing. What are your roots? You know, what do we want to be in the future? Uh, and then what uh, uh, structure, talent, strategy, structure, uh, and culture to get us there? And uh, it is a multi-year journey, particularly when you're in a hundred and seventy-year-old company with a lot of, you know, two, two major people own cross, the crosses and the bosses, and then it more or less went into private equity. Is there still, there's still family ownership? Um, uh, there is not anymore or private anymore. equity, okay. but there had been for 165-ish years. So Fourth or fifth generation, I remember reading at one point in time, right? Is that how far it went out? It did. So bluntly, we're still working on what our culture will become because in general, consumer goods is going through a massive transformation. And we're a bit the perfect product for the future because direct-to-consumer e-commerce is the future. Uh, and we're in the middle of transforming our company to be the perfect gift you buy on Amazon or Cross.com, et cetera, 
because we're engraveable and the drone can drop it to your house in two hours. You know, <laughs> Without any hey, extra Hey, you forgot cost. Father's Day. Oh my God, <laughs> gone online. The drone, you know, will drop it to your house at the end of the next day. So, you know, what, what are some of the things that we're, we're forming this? But, you know, I, I'll, I'll tout off some of the things that we've talked in the credo that we want in the company, which is our culture. Um, we all act as leaders. You know, no matter what role you're in the company, you can act as a leader. Um, and leadership, you know, I, I believe starts starts early. Okay, um, let's have a culture where we simplify complexity. Uh, and I learned that a little bit at Phillips. You can have an $8 billion issue that can be put on a piece of paper. I learned that at Procter & Gamble with the one-page memo. You know, how, how do you simplify things? Um, we always remember the consumer first. You know, if it wasn't for them, as you mentioned earlier with... Uh, uh, quick and et cetera, if you're not delivering the consumer and getting a high net promoter score, you're done. Um, uh, we always have kind of this, this motto about continuous learning, uh, lifelong learning, so that's important. While we are very global, I'm going to Dubai in two weeks to meet all our Middle East distributors. We've got to operate with a global mindset because the needs of you know uh, a Saudi Arabian consumer uh, is different than the needs of a Japanese consumer, uh, and, we're, and we're working on that. Um, the other thing I would say is common sense. You know, um, uh, the only thing common, I think Mark Twain said something like this, you know, uh, common sense is not common, something like that. So, you know, I think in my team, I try to inspire them to let's do the common sense things that will really move the needle uh, in terms of business performance, and uh, you know, maybe I'll go back to Procter. What do we do? Build the business, build our team. You know, that's that was a big Procter thing. So we're still in process on that, um, solidifying what our what our culture will be. But really, really key. You've been there about three years now, coming up on your third anniversary this summer as, as CEO. And of course, as you said, the company is over 170 years old. And you know, you've seen people come and go over the years uh, that you've been there. What do you think differentiates those that stay with AT Cross? Yeah, we've got um, incredible, uh, an incredible organization, which, which really is inspiring. Our average tenure is 16 years. Um, there's strong passion of a company. And, and by the way, I, I'm blessed. This is you know, the first brand I've taken that's 170 years old. And you could all think what I'm thinking. Don't it up, right? We got, <laughs> I don't want to be the 175th exactly. year problem. So um, you know the best people here are, and I've always been this way with my leadership teams. Best of the inside, fertilize the company with outsiders who bring in new competence and skill sets that we need in the future. So um, you know I think the people who stay here feel a great sense of pride, um, and we all have to be proud of the products or companies we work for. Uh, lifetime warranty for 170 years is something that people take great pride in. Uh, I have learned about Rhode Island culture. <laughs> that's, where, that's where we're based. Uh, you know, 170 years in the jewelry, you know, uh, trade up here in Rhode Island. You know, that's, that's where we were founded. Uh, and, and, and every day, it's, uh, you know, this is the small stuff. I'll take April. We had a great month of April. What did we do? We threw a pizza party in the employee cafeteria. You know, so how do you just keep on um, inspiring people? Now, the people who don't um, uh, do well here and, and may, may have, you know, moved on, uh, you know, is the, if you're not a learner, you're probably not going to do well under my leadership in my organization. If you're not a paradigm shifter, uh, if you don't feel 
um, part of the team uh, and you're in the boat with us and working against the, uh, you know, our, our set of strategies that we're chasing, you know, that becomes pretty apparent and you get pushed out of the, out of the system. I'll say they, they, they know that, but, you know, in the boat, out of the boat, uh, on board, part of our credo and culture, you know, then, then you're going to be here. Or as Jim Collins says, in the right seat and on the right bus, right? Yes, definitely. What do you look for when you're making bets on the people you invest in, Bob? Yeah, so uh, uh, we both, uh, you've had a lot more experience as a headhunter than I do. Uh, <laughs> but I had my three, I had my three years at Dagon Center, which I got to tell you, back to the toolkit that I was trying to develop, that was incredibly valuable for how to um, interview, uh, behaviorally based, assess people, uh, make sure they fit culturally. Like you can be the best financial guy in the world, but if you don't fit the culture, you're, you're dead. So um, I have changed dramatically in how I interview people. So as the CEO, I'm looking for fit, culture, and I'll call it the soft stuff. So, you know, my first question is, tell me about yourself. And I don't want to hear about your accomplishments. My team can assess that and your, and your competence. You know, my teams will assess that. Um, I want to hear about what makes you you. Um, you know, where did you face inflection points in your life? Uh, how did you handle those? How did you learn from those? Uh, have you faced adversity? How you persevered through that? And I'm very much on the, you know, fit um, culture thing. And, you know, I've, I don't want to pick on a university, but let's just say there's a very prestigious university out, out there in the world <laughs> Um, I've had people who, yeah, I won't say what coast, I don't want to pick on, you know, give me, <laughs> your neighbors give me to the north. doers, <laughs> not thinkers. Give me doers, not thinkers. Give me attitude. Uh, I had somebody in Colorado when I worked for Samsung, give me a sign. Attitude is everything. Um, you know, grit. I think you mentioned some of this stuff early on, but you know, what do you like when things get tough and I don't want, do I want you next to me? Um, you know, fighting the good fight. So for my core leadership team, you know, that's, that's the type of individual I want. Yes, you got to be super smart. You got to be competent. You got to be a life learner. But what do you like as a person? And do I want to be with you through the thick and thin? Bob Baird, you've been very, very generous with your time. We do have one last question for you that we ask all our CEOs. And, you know, what's that career and life advice that you give to someone that has their eyes on the corner office like you did early in your career? So, um... Uh, you know, uh, if you don't set, set goals, you know, you're, you're not going to get anywhere, you know, early on in life, I'm like, okay, this is what I'm going to be by this age. And I, and I'd written a personal strategic plan or life plan. I still, you know, look at that once a year. Uh, so I think everyone needs a life plan that will have a series of categories that should be considered, you know, and some of this is Stephen Covey, seven habits, but, um, you know, how do you want your family life to be? How do you want your friends to be? How do you want your, your um, you know, what, what are your passions in life outside of work? And what's your give back? You know, I'm very involved in one of the largest kids charity in the world called SOS. We take care of 88,000 kids. That's really important to me to, to leave a mark and give back in life. So uh, I'd say set um, a life plan. Make sure it's all encompassing. You know, not just work president by this age. You know, I definitely had that goal. But, you know, what kind of father do you want to be? You know, what kind of friend do you want to be? You know, do you want to leave your mark in the world? So, you know, that's something that I would really encourage people um, to, to, to think through. 
Um, and that's, you know, that stayed with me. The other thing I'll probably add is, you know, the Stephen Covey sharpen your store, take care of yourself. Um, you know, I flew 250,000 miles last year. I am much smarter than I was 10 years ago. I will plan time for the workout. You know, I've taken and up yoga well. <laughs> and meditation. Uh, I eat well. Huge difference. But that, that's something I would really encourage people because uh, leadership roles are stressful. They're busy. They're full out. You got you to gotta make sure you're taking care of yourself too. Bob, thank you once again. We really enjoyed hearing your journey into the corner office. Well, Brent, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.